my people working in the booth, my slide text this morning. Um, I've changed everything, so just forget it. <clears throat> this, our, we were supposed to be in First John on this morning, but from the beginning of the week, I never had peace about preaching that text and this sermon series on prayer. And I prayed to God. I said, God, you've got to give me something. Either give me something to say about from First John 5 or give me something else. Um, and he never gave me that peace. And so on last night, um, he said, to close out your sermon series on prayer, I want you to preach from the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And so I'm going to give you time to find it. Blessed is the man who can find Habakkuk. <laughs> so, so while y'all looking for that, uh, we'll review quickly the sermon series on prayer. We've had four installments of this sermon series on prayer, and I can never remember all four. Um, why pray, how to pray, the power of prayer. That's the one I was missing last week, the power of prayer. And then this last installment and our final uh, installment of this sermon series on prayer and our final sermon uh, in this series, we're talking about when God says no. How do we deal with continuing to pray when God says no? Or God doesn't answer at all. So that's what we, we've been dealing with in this sermon series on prayer. So while you continue to look for Habakkuk, beginning with chapter number one, and I'll just ask you to just keep it open there for this morning. While you're looking that, about that, I want to tell you about this uh, situation that I've had um, after my wife's surgery, she had to spend the night in the hospital a couple of months ago, a month and a half ago. Um, it, was, it had got later in the evening, and I decided that my wife didn't need me to look at her while she slept, so I would just go home and enjoy the comforts of my own bed. Uh, thank you. You got it. Uh, so I didn't sleep overnight with my wife at the hospital. And so anyways, it had gotten late. I had not eaten. Um, it was later in the night, and so in Wichita, the only thing open is uh, McDonald's and Burger King if you're on the right side of town. And so the, there's a McDonald's right across the street from Wesley Hospital. So I stopped by uh, to give me something to eat uh, because I was hungry, and that's, that was pretty much my only few options, and I didn't want to get out the car. I needed something quick. So I pulled up to uh, the kiosk where you uh, tell them what you want. And I, I, I stopped, and no one greeted me. Hello, could you give me one minute? Just silence. So, I, so I, okay, I'll give you a minute. You know, you probably short staff. It's night. You ain't used to this. Y'all probably taking a nap, too. It's night shift. All right. Two minutes goes by. Nothing. Not, not even, can you give me a moment? Just silence. Three minutes passed by. Nothing. By this point, y'all are probably wondering, why are you still there? Four minutes passed by. Nothing. So you know what I said? Y'all, I tend to think that I can be long-suffering, even if it's McDonald's. So I put the car in reverse, and I go to lane two, because maybe just lane one is not working, and they forgot to tell me that. So I pull up to lane two. 
nothing. So by this time, I'm speaking in tongues. <laughs> and I'm like, your food not that good for you to be making me wait for as long as I've been waiting, but I'm long-suffering. Minute number six shows up. Not only am I speaking in tongues, now I'm breaking another law because I'm speeding off because I'm so mad. How in the world would McDonald's, whose competitive advantage is price and speed, not greet me for six minutes? And, I, and as I'm pulling off, you know, I'm giving them the look. Like, I want y'all to know I see y'all not seeing me. I pulled up to McDonald's with a need that I felt like they could fulfill because they promised that they could fulfill the need that I had, but they left me just waiting. And I decided that I was just not going to wait any longer. So I went home and made me a sandwich. Some of us have had that same McDonald's experience with God. You've pulled up and said, God, I've got this need that I know you can fulfill because you've got all power and you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. So, God, I need you to do this. But here's the only thing, God. I need you to do it right now. And God has you sitting in lane one. And you're just waiting. Maybe the volume's turned down. Hello? You there? And time just keeps passing. And now you're frustrated, angry, wondering, God, where are you? I've got this need and I know you can fulfill it. I saw the truck come up and deliver the food. I know you got it, God, but I need you to do it. And God just, there's radio silence. And I know y'all got cameras and you can see me sitting here waiting on y'all. God, I know you see the pain that I'm going through. And I'm calling out to you, God, why are you not responding? Lord, I know you see the world. As a matter of fact, you can see it better than me. Don't you see the violence, the injustice, the wrong that's going on? God, where are you? God, we have prayer meeting once a month at the Bridge Church, first Wednesday of every month, and we're crying out to you. But God, it doesn't seem like we're getting all the answers to everything we pray for. God, do you even care? And that's where Habakkuk finds himself. Look with me at Habakkuk chapter 1. The oracle. That's a message that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Verse number two. Here's Habakkuk cry. Oh Lord. How long. Shall I cry. For help. 
and you will not hear. Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at Rome? Just look, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Real easy structure to follow this morning for our sermon outline. Two rounds of question and answer. Notice first of all Habakkuk's frustration. Habakkuk is frustrated by the fact that he had been crying out to the Lord and not getting a response. He felt like God had turned a deaf ear to his prayers. He kept pleading for God to help, but help never came. He cried out about the violence in the world, but it seemed like God didn't even care. Everywhere Habakkuk turned, amongst his own people of Judah, everywhere he turned, there was sin, wrongdoing, injustice, destruction, violence, and all kinds of unrighteousness. And so as Habakkuk looked at the scene of society, his plea and cry to God is, how long will you continue to allow these things to happen? God, why are you not answering my prayers? And I submit this morning that that's not just Habakkuk's frustration. But this is what many of us have experienced, are experiencing now, or will experience. God, how much longer until you answer my prayer? God, how much longer will you allow me to suffer and not intervene? Somebody, somebody here has the question, Lord, how long? Do I have to continue to pray for my spouse to change only to continue to experience turmoil? Somebody else has the question, how long, oh Lord, do I have to continue to pray for peace in my family only to continue to experience strife? Somebody else has the question, how long, oh Lord, do I have to continue to pray for prosperity at work only to experience adversity? Somebody else has the question this morning, how long, oh Lord, do I have to continue to pray for healing only to continue to experience pain? Oh Lord, how long? That's the question somebody has this morning. And Habakkuk is just simply asking, it's saying, Lord, I've been crying out to you. You called me, you set me apart to speak on the, to your people. But Lord, you're not responding. So in the next section, the Lord decides to finally respond to the prophet's prayer. Look, verses 5 and 6. Here's the Lord's response to Habakkuk. Look among the nations 
and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. God says to his own prophet, just look and see. Take some time to observe what's going on in the world. And you will see that I'm still at work. In other words, God said, even though it seems like I've gone silent, I'm still working. In other words, God lets Habakkuk know in the midst of of your turmoil in the midst of seeming unanswered prayer, I'm still on the throne. I'm still ruling and reigning over my universe. In the midst of unanswered prayer, you need to know, God says, that I have not fallen asleep on the job. You need to know that I'm not deaf, I'm not mute, I'm not gone hoarse, I'm still at work. He, 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 God, how are you working in the midst of unanswered prayer? It seems like things are getting worse, but how can I know you are working? God says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. The fact that he says that he's raising means that he's in process. There's a process that God is going through to get you ready for the answer to your prayer. The Chaldeans had not yet become the world conqueror at this time that they were. They were still fighting against Assyria. And so God had to allow some things to occur. God had to put some things in place so that the Chaldeans could become the world power that they needed to be for him to be able to answer the prayer of God's people. So God needs somebody to know that in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of violence and chaos, God says, I'm still at work. Even when you can't see my hand, trust my heart. So God tells him, I'm going to use the Chaldeans to punish my own people. The things that Habakkuk is complaining about, violence, wrongdoing, this is happening among God's chosen people. And Habakkuk is crying out to God saying, God, fix this thing. And God says, I'm going to do it. But it's going to be by Babylon. Now, look at round two. Look at verse 12. And by the way, Habakkuk is a very uh, uh, unique prophecy or prophetic book because normally the prophet speaks for God to the people. But with Habakkuk, he's speaking on behalf of the people to God. And so what we have here is this dialogue between the prophet and Habakkuk. Habakkuk has made his plea, his complaint, God has responded. Now Habakkuk has another complaint. Watch this. Verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment 
And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you oddly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk is perplexed at God's response. He cannot believe that of all people, God's going to use a pagan, unbelieving nation to punish his own chosen people. You're going to use people that are more wicked than the wicked ones I've been complaining about to punish them? Notice what just happened here. First part, how long, oh God, will you not hear me? God says, I hear you. Here's what I'm going to do. I don't like what you just said. He wants a response from God, but he doesn't like the response. And so really what happens is, God, I want you to answer my prayer, but I want you to answer it in my way. I want, it to, I want you to do your will, but according to my will. Habakkuk has been praying and pleading for God to hear his faintest cry, cry. And God says, I hear you. But I don't like it. He doesn't like the answer. He is surprised by God's response. Maybe at times it's not that God doesn't hear us or God does not answer us. It's that he, he answers us in unexpected ways. So that when he answers us in unexpected ways, it seems like, no, that wasn't God. That was just free will. That was just circumstantial. So it seems like God still has an answer. And so sometimes God surprises us by the way he answers our prayers. Can I paint a picture for you? Peter. Y'all know Peter. That's my boy. We get along real well. We're two peas in a pod. And so Peter, after Jesus had uh, gone back to the Father, he's now the leader of the apostles. He's gone to the gate called Beautiful. He heals this man who's at this gate called Beautiful. Uh, and then he continues to do his ministry. And then later in Acts 12, we find out that, that he's been put into prison. Peter had been uh, put into prison. And so here's what the church does. The church says, our leader has been put into prison. They said, let's pray. And so they go to, 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 to this house and they pray for their leader. One of the things that I like about this early church is if, I, if that had been me and I had gone to prison, y'all be ready to call a, a business meeting. Pastor in prison, we need to vote him out. <laughs> y'all know how church people are. 
Y'all will show up for a business meeting, but not prayer meeting. But the early church says, our, our, our pastor is in prison, let's pray. And they pray, they get down on their knees, and they pray for their pastor. And God shows up. Peter gets out of prison. He goes to where the church is praying for him, knocks on the door. Rhoda shows up, answers the door, and she can't believe it's Peter. What they have been praying for, the answer is at the door. She leaves Peter at the door and runs and tells everybody else. Peter is dead. They cannot believe. Matter of fact, they first think he's an angel. This can't be what we were actually praying for. Sometimes, I point it, sometimes God surprises us. He answers in unexpected ways. And what we have to do is when we go to God in prayer, we have to have an open hand to how he answers our prayers. God, however you answer, I'll be satisfied. God answers his prayer. He says, I'm raising them up. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Becca says, no, I don't want that one. Try again, God. So the reason Habakkuk struggles with this is because his theology is all messed up now. You're a good God. You're a just God. You're a righteous God. But yet you're going to use this even more wicked nation to punish these not as wicked people. God, is that really how God operates? Yes. Are you at peace with that, Brandon? Yes. How, Brandon? Because God is sovereign. God is in control. He does as he pleases. And here's the thing I know about God. He always has more information than we do. Here's the problem. I don't know if I've ever gone on this tangent before, but I'm about to. The problem that we have is we hold God to whatever our standard of fairness is. And if God doesn't meet our standard of fairness, he's unjust. He's unrighteous. I've seen our standard of fairness. Look through history. And if there's anybody who thinks we know what fair is, what rock have you been living under? We don't know what fair is. It gets quiet when I talk about America. Because we, we are a nation that said slavery was acceptable and used the Bible to justify it. But yet we know what fair is. We are a nation that once we got rid of slavery, put in Jim Crow laws. And we a law, by the way. And we justified it. If y'all don't like what I'm saying right now, do not come to church for the next six weeks because I'm going to be preaching from the book of Amos and it's all about injustice. In the eyes of God. 
not brain dead. You, you mean to tell me you serve a God that saves some and doesn't save all? Yep. But that's not fair according to who? You want to tell me what's fair in God's economy? What's fair is everybody goes to hell. Because God is holy and nobody has the perfect righteousness, the perfect holy to meet his standard of holiness. So what everybody deserves is hell. That's fair. The fact that God, if God were to save just one person, he's still good. If he decides to save just two out of the millions and billions, he's still good. If he decides to save three, he's still good. However many he says, he says, I, I can have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'm still good. <laughs> I'm shutting it down. I'm good. I'm good. And so our problem is we put God into our standard of fairness, and when we do that, we minimize him and we make him less than who he really is. And so what we have to start is, how does God determine fairness? And God says, how I choose to discipline my own people, that's my prerogative because I'm God. And so, yes, I can use a more wicked people to punish my own people because I'm God. But guess what? I won't destroy them all. I save a remnant for myself. That wasn't in the manuscript. So he has his second complaint. And then we find ourselves in chapter two now. Now watch this. I like what Habakkuk does in chapter two. He says, he's made his second complaint now. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post. And station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, Habakkuk says, I'm going to go to my watch post because normally that's where you will watch out for uh, uh, enemies to see if anybody was, was attacking. He says, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to watch this. This is a four letter word. Y'all hate it. Wait. On the Lord. He, he says, I, I, I'm crying out, I pray, and now I'm just going to wait to see what God has to say. I, I'm just going to wait. Now watch this. Notice, in his waiting, he doesn't do nothing. Did I say that correctly? Probably not. He doesn't just sit on his blessed assurance. <laughs> He keeps the <laughs> y'all a mess. <laughs> he goes to work while he's waiting. How do I wait on the Lord? You keep doing what you've been doing until you, your change comes. Waiting doesn't just mean you sit and do nothing. That was the problem that the Thessalonians had. They said, we, we're waiting for the Lord Jesus to come. And so they got lazy. They wouldn't go to work. And that's why he said, if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. He, they were doing nothing because they were just waiting on their Lord. Uh-uh. He says, no, you got to be about your father's business. Get, get to work. 
Keep doing what you've been doing, what God has called you to do until your change comes. And so the way you wait on the Lord is you keep doing what God has called you to do until your breakthrough comes. He said, I'm going to go to the washtower and I'm going to wait on the Lord. Now, I don't, in, my, in my imagination, I don't see Habakkuk pacing the watchtower. Because that's what happens in many of our hearts and heads. We're waiting on God, but we're stressing. We're worrying. Is God really going to come through? Is he going to do anything? He's, when you're waiting, you learn to rest. Read some of the Psalms. They got some good stuff in the Psalms. They would say things like, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. That's how you wait. Like like you know God is going to come through on what he's already promised to you. Look, look, we got to get out of here. Look finally at God's response in round two. Chapter two, verse two. And the Lord answered me, Here's what the Lord said. Write the vision. Make it plain. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by faith. God says, I'm going to do something in your day. You'll be able to see it. But what I'm about to do, I want you to write it because it's not going to happen until the future. And so I want to make sure there's a record of it. Write it plain on tablets so that someone can read it and run and tell others. There's good news. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. If it seems slow, wait for it. So when it seems like God says no, last week we said God has four responses to our prayers. Yes. No. My grace is sufficient. And that's what God tells Habakkuk. I know you are weary with the world. But wait. I have a plan. And it's going to come about in its appointed time. But God, how can you wait so long to do something? God says, you got to go read over, I believe it's in 2 Peter where it says a thousand days with the Lord is like a day. And a day is like a thousand years. You, what you've got to realize is God doesn't count time like we do. What seems like long for you is but a moment for God. He's not bound by our time. He's the creator of time. So he doesn't have to fit into what he already created. That is for you. God says, I know it seems long to you, but it ain't long to me. He says, what, what's, it's going to happen, but you just got to 
worst thing you can have is a premature blessing. Think about it. Babies who are born prematurely, we have some in this church. There's a struggle in the early days, in the early months, because they haven't been able to come to full term yet. But there's a blessing in waiting. They get the nutrients that they need. And some of us want to short-circuit God's process of what he's trying to do to bring us to full term. God says, what you need to learn to do is wait. We don't like that. We are people of technology. If we want something to be known, we just post it on Facebook. We just post it on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. If you want something to go viral, just post it. If you want to know something, just Google it. We want what we want when we want it. That's why I was so perturbed by McDonald's. I was sleepy, I was hungry, and I wanted to get home. We don't like to wait. But just know that you can't rush God. He will not be rushed. Old church used to say, he may not come when you want him to. Ha! Help me preach this thing. But he's always on time. So then... What do I do while I'm waiting? I keep trusting. It's in the text. The righteous shall live by faith. That's complete confidence and reliance upon God. I've prayed. My answer hasn't come. But I'll keep trusting you. Won't worry about it. I'm going to trust you. So that's what we need today in our prayer life is to keep trusting God while we wait. We are, though anybody that's been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are righteous. Now you may not always be right or act right, but you are righteous in the eyes of God. I'm learning stuff more and more. I'm behind, y'all, when it comes to social media. I am behind. Somebody, um, uh, we got a picture this week. Uh, Lily is with her mom. And so we got a picture this week, and my wife sent it to me. I said, this don't look like my baby. Send that back. And what had happened was, (laughs) come to find out that you can take a picture and filter it. 
And so there's some kind of way, I wish I knew all of it, but you can filter the picture so if you don't like the way you look, you can make it look the way you want it to look so that you can post it and make it go public. And so that people don't see you who you really are, but they see you as you want them to be seen, as you want to be seen. It's kind of like, I shouldn't say that one. (laughs) And so what I learned was the reason my baby didn't look like she normally looked is because her mama had put a filter on her picture. My baby don't need no filter, but that's another story. So that even though that's not how she really looked, she made her look better than what she really, what she thought she made her look better than what she really looked. You missed a good spot to take a run around this place because that's how God sees every one of you sinners in this room. He sees you through a filter and it's through the filter of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see you as sinful and as filthy as you are, but he sees you through the son, his son, Jesus Christ, so that you are righteous. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to the lamb. If there's anybody in here today, without Jesus Christ, you are clothed in sin. Filthy rags. As I stated earlier in the sermon, what you deserve is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loved you so much that he sent you by the bridge church on this Lord's day to hear that he loves you. And he sent his one and only son to take your penalty, to die your death so that you could be clothed in the righteousness of his son and be rescued, redeemed and delivered from your sin. And now you can be right with God. And now you become the righteous who now live by faith. Well, Brandon, what do I have to do to be saved from this impending wrath of God? You do nothing because Christ has done it all. So for somebody in here, what you need to do, your response to today's word is by faith. Put all of your trust, all of your confidence, all of your hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. So that you can be right with your creator. Somebody else in here, your response to today's words is... I need to learn how to wait. I need to learn how to wait and not worry while I'm waiting. Because I'm supposed to live by faith. Everybody in here should be a living picture of faith. Faith. Is taking God's word and acting upon it. It's taking God at his word and acting upon it. So he, if he said, I'm going to make it, guess what? I'm going to act like I'm going to make it. As sick as I am, I believe his word. Yes, no, my grace is sufficient. Maybe your response to today's words is, I need to learn to live with an open hand. Come on, worship team. To however God answers my prayer. Maybe you have been praying for God to do your will on earth rather than praying thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wait on the Lord, church.
be of good courage. He will. He hears you. He sees you. And he's still working.